We're continuing our study in Daniel chapter 3, and if you would take your Bibles and turn with me as we conclude chapter 3 today, we'll begin reading in verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar has built a statue, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had made it very clear they have no intention of bowing down uh, to that statue and worshiping the gods of Babylon, and now we find the circumstance that they're in. They are facing being cast into the fiery furnace. So beginning with verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was heated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the, fiery, into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads wasn't hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks Anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let us pray. Our Father, this is an amazing part of your redemptive history that is so beautifully recorded in all of your word. And today as we come to this story, teach us about your presence with your people. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Where is God when we find ourselves in a difficult place? You may know the name Andrew Murray. He lived in 1828 to 1917. He was a pastor, I believe, in South Africa and wrote many, many books. 
And he's known for many sayings, but he's certainly known for this saying, with respect to the Christian's perspective in the midst of a trial. Andrew Murray would say, let me say, I am here, that is, I am here in this difficult place by God's appointment in his keeping under his training for his time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrate for us what Andrew Murray's statement looks like as they were in a difficult place by God's appointment, but they were not alone. They were in God's keeping. God was present with them. God refined them, and in God's timing, he brought them out of that fiery furnace according to his purposes. And today, we want to focus on this one aspect. We'll look at many things, but this is the lesson that we must hear yet again, learn yet again, rest on yet again, and it's this lesson, God is present with his people at all times, and it's most noticeable in the difficult place. Do you believe that? The division of this text is very simple. You'll see this on your sermon outline. We'll look at Shadrach, Meshach, and difficulty. There's no way out for them, humanly speaking. We will look at Shadrach and Meshach's deliverance. Nebuchadnezzar called them out of that fire, and they came. And then we'll look at the deliverer, that fourth man in that fire. So let's look at the first point as we begin looking at the difficulty in which Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves. And I, I'm really getting used to saying those three names. And I hope you're getting used to uh, listening uh, to them. But they just kind of roll off the tongue now. But please don't hold it against me if I misspeak from, <laughs> from time to time. Because it is a mouthful, those three names. What a glorious story it is. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves in a very difficult situation. And as we look at their situation from a human perspective, we can't conclude anything but there was no way out. They were in a jam. And so we begin by looking at verse 19, which says that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. In other words, and I don't mean a pun here, but maybe I do, that he was red-hot mad, about as hot as that furnace heated some seven times its normal temperature. And sometimes when we get mad, well, oftentimes when we encounter a person who is really upset, we can see it in their face. And so these three men could see the rage in Nebuchadnezzar's face. His appearance, the text tells us in verse 19, had changed. So there's no doubt 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a problem on their hand. What was the, the reason for Nebuchadnezzar's rage? And last week we studied verses 17 and 18 where the command had gone out from Nebuchadnezzar that everybody was to bow down to that statue that he, he had made. He was actually promoting self-worship but for his people to worship him. Of course, he worshiped himself. And so very quietly, kind of under the radar, Shadrach and Meshach demonstrate for us what it means to obey God rather than men. They just simply obeyed God. They did not bow down. But they were called out, as you remember, by the Chaldeans because the Chaldeans wanted to get rid of the Jewish influence in Babylon. And so they they made it known to the king that these three men had disobeyed his command to worship. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar calls them in to interrogate them to verify if these accusations were correct. And in verses 17 and 19... uh, The three men answer Nebuchadnezzar by simply saying, we believe, we we know that our God is able to deliver us out of your hands, Nebuchadnezzar. And what we need to understand, at least as I understand verse 17, is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had absolute confidence in God, if it was his will, to take them out from under this death sentence and to work such they such that they would not be thrown into the fiery furnace at all. God was able to do that. And they believed that. And they told Nebuchadnezzar that. That's the greatness of the God that that we worship. But don't you just love verse 18? For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, But if not, if that is not the sovereign will of God for the three of us, He's still God. He's still good. He's still holy. He's still the one who fulfills his covenant promises. And Nebuchadnezzar, we will trust him in the fire. And we will not bow down to you or your statue or any of your gods. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not want to injure Nebuchadnezzar's pride, but they did. (laughs) They remain faithful to God, obey God rather than men. And so now we pick up in verse 19 with Nebuchadnezzar just being incensed, enraged, wanting to take out revenge on these three that rebelled against him. And the text paints for us a picture that shows the three men were in a situation where there truly was no human way out. Let me just walk us through this text. Look at verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar says, apparently the furnace was already on, and so it was burning. I don't really know what the furnace looked like. Could have been a hole in the ground, could have been... We don't know, but the point is, there was this, this fire already started, stoked, so to speak, there in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar says... I want you to heat that thing seven times hotter than what it's normally operating at. Now, we don't know if they actually achieved that. We don't know what the temperature was. But the purpose is that that fire was so hot that there's absolutely no way anything, not even inanimate objects, could survive that. I mean, if if you threw uh, dust in there, it would burn to a crisp. And certainly, if you threw a human body in there, it would surely be killed. So there is no way out. In other words, Shadrach and Meshach 
were going to be cast into this fire, and they were in a hopeless and helpless state. And then look at verse 20. Not only did Nebuchadnezzar say, heat the fire up to seven times hotter, get that thing really burning, but then he summons the best of his army to come, these elite troops, these mighty men that are serving in his military. And he says, men, I want you to come, and I want you to take the garments of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I want you to tie them up and bind them such that there's absolutely no human way that they can, that they can uh, free themselves from the uh, bondage. And so the elite troops come, and they take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 20, and they tie them up. And then in verse 21, uh, we, we see that indeed Nebuchadnezzar's command was carried out, and the bound three were taken by the elite troops to the door or to the uh, area of the fiery furnace to cast them in to carry out Nebuchadnezzar's orders, to fulfill his rage. But, as often is the case, there were unintended consequences. It was what happened. These elite troops, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? (laughs) These elite troops, the best of the best of Nebuchadnezzar's army, were killed by the intensity of the fire. Now, notice... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't die, but these elite troops dropped dead. And then we learn in verse 23 that the three men did fall into the fire. So you just imagine what might have happened, taken up to the very edge of where the furnace was and kind of maybe gently pushed, and then the soldiers died, but the three continued to fall. They fell into the fire, and there they are in the midst of this fiery furnace bound, no way out, hopeless, helpless. God's appointment and under God's training. That's what Andrew Murray said about such a situation. Let me say this when I am brought to such a place that it's by God's appointment And in this place, I'm under God's training. We need to stop and we need to pause and we need to ask, what are the furnace-like situations in my life? You know, today, do, do you feel as though you are hopeless and helpless in a situation? And I'm largely speaking to believers Do we not face uh, difficulties? Do we not find ourselves in a hard place because of our sin and suffering the consequences of it? Do we not find ourselves in difficult places because of other people's sin that affect us? Do we not find ourselves in a difficult place simply because we live in a fallen world and we suffer difficulty because of that? Perhaps we may find ourselves in a difficult place because we're suffering for the sake of righteousness. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Where are you feeling a sense of helplessness or hopelessness? Maybe it's in finances. I would suggest that many of us here have understand what it means to have more months than money. Maybe if you feel like you're absolutely stuck in a job that's just sucking the life out of you. Maybe you're struggling in, in relationships. And you just feel hopeless and helpless in the difficulty in that relationship. I don't believe that any of us here today are free from the potential of experiencing a very difficult place. may not be a furnace heating set, heated up seven times, but it may feel like it. And we may feel like, for instance, struggling with a disease or struggling with a loved one who is sick. It may feel like there's no way out. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a difficult place. And that's the first thing that we have to acknowledge about this text. And I would say it certainly is a difficult place because of standing for God in a pagan culture and suffering the consequences. So they were suffering for righteousness' sake. But we find here that in that difficult place, there was a miracle of deliverance. And that's the second part of your sermon outline. And what we need to see here is that, as I said earlier, God did not deliver them from being thrown in the furnace. He delivered them in the furnace. He delivered them while in the fire. And what was the, the reason uh, for this deliverance? Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And so he verified, as we look at verse 24 that indeed they threw three men in the furnace. And then in verse 25, after that had been verified, yes, O king, we threw three men in there. Then in verse 25, we, we read that, that there was a fourth man in the furnace, and all four were walking around unbound and apparently unhurt in the midst of the fire. And I think that phrase is ever so important. In the midst of the fire, that was burning seven times hotter than it normally was burning. That was burning so hot that it killed the soldiers that, that were placing the three men in the fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 25, The fourth is like a son of the gods. And we just need to pause here and ask this, Well, who was this fourth man? Now, there's much debate about this, and this and Nebuchadnezzar's phrase would lead us to think, well, maybe it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, a Christophany, and there are many who would hold to that. There's much that has been uh, written about that, or others would say that maybe it was an angel, because if we look at verse 28, 
we find the text referring to an angel that was part of of this story. But we really don't know. The Bible doesn't clearly tell us the identity, a specific identity of this fourth man. There's no direct information. But what we can say is that this is a representation of God being physically present with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's the theophany. I think that's the best way to understand it, not to try to, to, to force it to fit a Christophany mindset or even an angel, but this is telling us that God was there with these three men in the midst of the fire. Now think about that for just a moment. How significant is that for you and me that as we go through a hot, fiery, difficult situation in our lives where we may feel alone, where we may feel abandoned, where we may feel hopeless and helpless, our God is there with us in the midst of that difficulty. And what was the, the, the result of this? The result was, as Andrew Murray encouraged us, that he said, let, let me say that by, I'm in this difficult place by God's appointment in his keeping and according to his timetable and for his training. We see that there was a time in verse 26 where these three men were called from that fiery trial. They were called out by Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, come here, and they came out, and they approached Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 27, we learn that all the officials gathered around these, these men, and they inspected them. They inspected their, their garments to make sure that they were not burned, and they found no sign of fire. They inspected their flesh, and there was no sign of fire burning their flesh. And the most amazing thing, now, let me tell you this story. I asked Bob Trammell if I could share this. But uh, one of our children's birthday, Bob and Kim graciously allowed us to use their fill. They used to live in Roland. And Bob said, I'll build a bonfire. And I said, great. And so, Brother Bob, may I call you that, Bob? Built this bonfire and that thing was so hot that no one could cook a hot dog on it. We couldn't get close enough. And it was wonderful, and we enjoyed it, but it lit up rolling. Now, I'm you know, using a little bit of hyperbole here just to, to give some excitement to the story. And I remember that, that we had to gather coals from, with a long shovel to build little satellite cooking spots, you know, so we could cook our hot dogs. Is that true, Bobby? Do do, do you remember that? That was the best bonfire I've ever seen. And I thought, man, if only Nebuchadnezzar had Bob, you know, that thing would have been ten times hotter. But but I remember uh, the fact that That thing was so hot. And I remember that I smelled like smoke for days. You've been around campfires, haven't you? 
even little itty-bitty piddly campfires like I might build, you still smell like smoke. You've got to air stuff out. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, with the guys laying on the ground that had already been killed by this hot fire, did not even smell like smoke. I would say, that's a miracle. And that's the next point I want to make, still under number two, the deliverance. The deliverance was miraculous. Now, God normally uses the means that he has established to govern and to sustain and to rule his world. He has created natural law, gravity, photosynthesis, the rotation of the earth. Everything just keeps working under God's superintended, uh, under his care and, but yet, God is not bound by even the natural law that he has made in that he can supersede it. He can do supernatural things. He can do miracles. He can walk into a fiery furnace. He can be there. He can prevent his people from being burned by a fiery furnace. He can prevent his people from even smelling like smoke having been in a fiery furnace. <laughs> The only place we can come to in this text is to see that this was a miraculous deliverance by God. And as we look at the Bible, we see God coming and doing miracles of deliverance when God's people find themselves in a crisis. We think of the crisis in Egypt with Moses and and the children of Israel. And what did God do? He parted the Red Sea. And we think of Joshua, and we think of the Gibeonites who were in crisis. And Joshua took his army to come and to free the Gibeonites. And what happened? The sun stood still so that Joshua could free the Gibeonites and wage war. And when we think of Miracles, and we think of people being in crisis, we think of the, all the many miracles that Jesus did as he healed the sick, as he, as he came personally to a man infirm on a, on a litter who couldn't move, and he caused him to arise and walk, a personal crisis of a debilitating situation, and yet Jesus did a miracle. And we have to mention the greatest miracle that was performed in the Bible is the resurrection itself. Where Jesus comes, as we sang in the song, Hymn of Assurance, in the midst of our despair, being in bondage to sin, and he came and he, and he miraculously delivered his people from the judgment and the penalty and from the bondage to sin. And the resurrection is that miracle that shows, indeed, Jesus' death on the cross secured the redemption of God's people. Dr. Ferguson writes, the paradigm miracle was Christ's resurrection. There the kingdom of darkness seemed to have overcome the kingdom of God. But God raised his son from the dead in power and glory. His kingdom was protected and his servants Vindicated. You see, God comes to his people in a crisis, in a difficulty, and he's with them, 
and there will be a deliverance. And sometimes that deliverance looks like physical death to be translated to glory. But sometimes that deliverance looks like a miracle. And here's the lesson for us. God is able to perform miracles. He is able to work such that we don't burn in the fiery furnace. He is able to heal. He is able to restore. He is able to free from prison. But if not, remember the words of the three Jews in last week's message in verse 18, but if not, we still trust God that he'll be faithful to fulfill his covenant promises, that he is at work in the lives of his people, that he, is, he has the bigger picture and he is bringing everything about to accomplish his will. I love what Samuel Rutherford said, let's be faithful and care for our part. Duties are ours. Events are the Lord. In other words, Rutherford is saying our job is to be faithful, to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to trust God if it means not being allowed to go in that difficult place or trusting God in that difficult place, that he will fulfill his covenant promises. And this is really where the Christian life is lived. This is where we find most profoundly God's presence in a time of difficulty where we have no other options. There's no human way out. And yet God is there working, governing, loving, and caring, and yes, delivering according to his timetable. And let's look at that deliverer. I want to say two things. The last point on your outline. Looking at verses 28 through 30. After this miraculous deliverance took place, we we see an interesting response by Nebuchadnezzar. Once again, as he was at the end of chapter 2, he was really impressed with this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was impressed with God's work of deliverance. We, we see that he, in verse 28, that he blesses the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and acknowledges their faith and acknowledges this wonderful work of their God. In verse 29, he made this decree that no one can speak against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. And, and as we look at this, the whole thing, we just see Nebuchadnezzar being really impressed with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. I think many people are impressed when they see a powerful work of God even in our day. A work that no man can say, well, that, there's some other reason for that. A work that even pagan people say, well, this must be a work of, of some God or, or a God or the God. But that really is not the important thing here. The important thing is not that Nebuchadnezzar was impressed with God. The important thing is that Nebuchadnezzar was not impressed with his need of God. He was not impressed with his need of deliverance like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered. Nebuchadnezzar needed to be delivered. And so once again, we must not be led to think that here again, the end of chapter 3, like the end of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has had some change of heart. We'll see in chapter 4 that he truly hasn't. (laughs) He's the same old Nebuchadnezzar. And I think this is a lesson for you and me today. And the question is simply this. Okay, so you're impressed with 
God delivering Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are you impressed with your need for deliverance? And some may be thinking, well, Tim, you're talking to people you've known a long time. Tim, you're talking to a congregation that's probably largely filled with... with I know all of that. And we still need to talk. We still need to encourage one another to think about, are we living impressed with our need for Jesus day in and day out? For some of us, it may be a deliverance from darkness into light. For many of us, it may be a deliverance from, from some sin or from some doubt or from some idol to a restored relationship with uh, Jesus. And I want us just to, to think about, once again, that it is about, this, this passage is about looking at our own lives the very thing that that Nebuchadnezzar did not do. Jesus said this in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? For those who are like Nebuchadnezzar, who are not impressed with their own need for Jesus... You think the fiery furnace was bad for the... Think again about final judgment. Think about the trial of eternal punishment. And that is the destiny for those who, like Nebuchadnezzar, are impressed maybe with the wonders of God, but not impressed with their need for God's deliverance. And if that describes you here today, I ask you to consider these words of Jesus, that he is the resurrection and the life. And he has promised you everlasting life, freedom from that ultimate judgment, that ultimate fiery furnace by trusting and resting in him. And what we're called to do is is simply to repent of our sin and to trust in Jesus. And so that's one lesson, I believe, that, that we have from this event in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life. But there's a second one. Nebuchadnezzar was not impressed with his need for God. But then secondly, let's look at God's people. In that fiery furnace, we find they were, that God was with them. He was present with them. And I love what Andrew Murray said. That He said this, that when I'm in a difficult place... Let me say that I'm there by God's appointment. And the second thing, remember, in his keeping, in God's love. He loves me there in that difficult place. He is with me there in this difficult, difficult place. He is keeping me in relationship with himself there in that difficult place. God is in the hottest part of the trial with you and me. God is in the deepest depths of the trial with you and me. God is with us. And as we conclude this, this, this message today, I want to do so, I want to do so by concluding with just a series of scriptures. And I would just ask you, you can turn to them if, if, you, if you would like. 
but I really want you just to sit and to listen to these, these beautiful words of Scripture that communicate God's presence with His people. Jerry read earlier, Psalm 23, I'll read verse 4 again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? The psalmist says, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isaiah 41, 8 through 10, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its father's corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Is that not encouraging to you in a non-trial event, but especially in the midst of a trial? John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that passage ends, Matthew ends with this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Isaiah 43, 1 through 4, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, says the Lord. And he says, I love you. And I'm with you in the hottest trial and the deepest depth of despair. And one last passage, Romans 8, 28, and then 37 through 39. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Andrew Murray said, in the midst of a trial, that we are in his keeping. We are in his love. And he will never, never let us go. You know, it's easy to think when we struggle, we're in a difficult place, that God has abandoned us, that we're alone. But today we've seen where it's just the opposite. God brought us to that place. God is there with us in that place. God is there training us in that place. And it is all for his time.
for his purposes. An artist captured a really what we would say is a tragedy. And let me just describe this, this painting for you. And it's a painting of what was an old uh, mountain cabin. You can just think of this. And all that's left is the charred chimney. And that's in the background of the painting. But then in the foreground, there's this old grandfather-like man who is in his undergarments. And it's at night. And he's standing there holding the hand of a little boy who is holding in his other hand just a tattered pair of, of old coveralls. And it's obvious from the painting that, that the boy is, is crying. And the artist wrote at the bottom of that painting these words as if the old grandfather is saying this to the son. And you should understand, and I'm sure you do, that this, this painting represents this, this dwelling that's probably the only thing this family had, and it had burned to the ground. And so there they're standing, totally destitute, this grandfather and perhaps his grandson. And this is what the grandfather said to the grandson. Hush, child, God ain't dead. And what we take from this is that in the midst of things that we view as tragedies and devastation in our own life or in the lives of others, God ain't dead. He brought us there. And God didn't abandon us. He's there with us, keeping us and training us and all for his time. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask you to work your marvelous grace in our lives as we find ourselves from time to time struggling with despair because of a difficult providence that that comes our way. And yet, Lord, we have these encouragements from Scripture that, that all of this is under your sovereign plan and you are with us in the midst of that trial. And because of that, we're able to fear not. We're able to trust you. We're able to see you work and to shower us with your blessing. Pray for myself and for these dear folks here today that we would have a fresh sense of not only the reality of difficulty but the glory of a miraculous deliverance because of a mighty, loving, ever-present deliverer, God the Father, God the Son, and, Holy, and God the Holy Spirit. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.